Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. The assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our shows, subscribe for free to our new YouTube channel where you can access exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at clear eyes, full hearts. Also, we are continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. So join us as we recap all your favorite episodes and chat with amazing guests. And answer your questions. Everything you want to know, write us at clear eyes, full hearts pod at gmail.com today. We are talking about season four, episode eight, Toilet Bowl. It was written by Derek Santos Olson and directed by Michael Waxman. The synopsis from NBC reads, the Lions play the worst team in the league, leading people to dub the match the Toilet Bowl, and Tim makes a bad decision while trying to help Luke. We have a fantastic guest joining us today, Jeremy Sumter, a.k.a. J.D. McCoy. But before we chat with Jeremy, let's recap this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not that anybody cares, but we have the league's two last place teams squaring off. Slam and Sammy Mead does not mince words ever. I care. I care about the toilet bowl. This is actually kind of funny because my father has been using the term the Kohler toilet bowl to describe crappy bowl games for years. So I'm glad that FNL finally picked up on this trend. This is also feels like the first time that we've seen Buddy Garrity in like two or three episodes. Am I crazy? Yeah, maybe. Or he pops in for just a hot second. A little Betty cameo. Yeah, we haven't seen Buddy around. I miss me some Buddy Garrity. I'm glad to see his face. You know, we see Buddy at the beginning of the episode as he's listening to Slamming Sammy Mead go off on the toilet bowl. Toilet bowl. Luke, the camera pans down and there's a close-up shot on a pill bottle. And I know that I just watched Luke get hurt. Like my brain is going, oh God, Luke's going to get addicted to painkillers because it's canon. This is what happens in a movie or TV show when you see a close-up of a pill bottle, then they get addicted to painkillers. It's like in a movie, if someone coughs in a movie, they're going to die in the movie. It's Chekhov's gun. 
Yes. Is this what's happening? You know, I can't remember, honest to God, if he does wind up getting like a painkiller addiction. I don't think he does. I could be wrong, but I know that he does make some dumb decisions in trying to acquire pain meds. You know, obviously those dumb decisions come courtesy of the advice of one Tim Riggins. I don't remember him having like a big, huge drug addiction. Okay. Maybe I'm, I'm crazy. No, Luke's smarter than that. Maybe that's why FNL's better than some of those other shows, because it doesn't always go right to the cliches. But I could be wrong. Right. And we do close-up shots on stuff all the time. And so I read into it as like, oh, no, but I forget. That's what FNL does, camera-wise. I do think it's supposed to be a big deal that, like, you know, this guy's going to get meds from, like, this hack doctor. He got real, real hurt in that fence, too. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a part of it that's like, he does kind of need these meds, you know? Yeah. But it is something he needs to watch out for and make sure he doesn't get addicted. I can't remember, Stace. Good, because I don't know. Okay, am I crazy or is that the same real estate agent from season one? Because I will fully admit I was too lazy to actually look it up. You are not crazy. And I do actually know the answer to this one. Yay! Her name is Cindy Creekmore. She plays Missy Aubrey. And yes, she's the same real estate agent from the first season. She's also the same real estate agent that sells the Riggins brothers, Buddy Garrity's house. That must be so fun for her because it had been, what, like two years and then she gets the call like, yeah. hey, come in. She's like, great. I'll come back and do that part again. She may again. be the only real estate agent in all of Dylan. She seems to be the best, I would <laughs> she's say. She's definitely the best. I would say she's definitely the best. Yeah. But just as an actress to get that call, you're like, oh, sure. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, I love, I love those. This. I've had that happen before too, where as an actor, yeah. like you shoot something in the first season of a show and then like three years later, they call you back and you're like, really? Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> Do you have the right number? Yeah, exactly. You sure? Until you've actually shot the scenes, it does feel like, are you guys sure that this is? Are you yeah. Ashton Kutcher? Are you punking me? <laughs> there seems to be what I would call an overstock of toilets in Dylan because they're just <laughs> all over. Yes, there's a lot of toilets coming out for the toilet bowl. <gasps> did you remember there was one in front of your house for so long and we did a photo shoot with it? A toilet? Yes. I don't remember. Oh my God, I'm going to send you the pictures later. We did a whole photo shoot Oh, with I think it. there was a toilet in the backyard that we used as like a bench. Oh God, right. Yeah. Awesome. I had a buddy of mine in college who had a toilet in his living room. Like not a working toilet, but another seat. Like as a seat? Yeah, just a little seat in the room. I do not like that at all. Usually it was filled with like empty beer cans and cigarette butts. But Absolutely yeah. not. Not a fan. <laughs> okay, guys, it's me, your local stick in the mud. And I am here to say, I see this trope on so many TV shows. I don't know anyone that went and did college tours and sat in on a class. And to be fair, I don't think I even know anyone that did college tours, but I'm assuming they happen. I know they happen. I did college tours. Did you? Yes. My dad and I went on a college tour at University of Georgia. I went on a college tour at Baylor with my friend Amanda. You did? Yeah. Come on. I didn't sit on any classes, but I met the secretary at Baylor, who oddly enough, her last name is Kohler. We were just talking about the Kohler toilet bowl. Her name is Sue Kohler. She was the secretary at Baylor University's theater program. And she kind of ran the show behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Like she knew everything. And I remember Mm. my dad meeting her and being like, getting good with that Sue lady because she knows everything and she runs this place. (laughs) And he was very right. He was right. (laughs) But yeah, she gave us a tour of the theater because I was a future theater major at Baylor. And so, yeah. yeah, Yes, I get the tours. I went to college in London, so I didn't go to London to tour. Oh, fancy pants. We don't do tours in London. I'm sure they do. I just wasn't rich enough to fly over there to do it. (laughs) Gotcha. I met them. I did a thespian convention and I won a scholarship there for Mm -hmm. doing monologues. And I met the head of 
that school. And then later, because I was all set to go to TCU, I was in, I had my dorm room. I was with my best friends in my room. I was going to study photojournalism and theater. And then we got this call on my answering machine and it was the head of the department at University of Manchester. And his name was Robert E. Lee, E-L-I-E. But my dad and I listened to it five times being like, Robert E. Lee? Wow. That's weird. So like, essentially I didn't tour, but I guess I interviewed whatever. Okay. But it's the, they go on a tour, they sit in a lecture class and then they answer the question in the class. Like, come on guys. I love that moment just strictly because of the fact that we get to see a massive Julie eye roll to Tammy when Tammy answers the question in this. Yeah. Where are they? They Boston College, I think, maybe? Yeah, Boston College. Can they say BC? Yeah. I'm assuming Boston College. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Because in all the other tropes, it would be Julie, the very smart girl answering the question because she knows the answer. So I do love that it was the mom. Yeah. But there's just a part of me. I did a little groan. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, people are going to hate me. Don't oh, say God. that about yourself. Don't say that. They already do. Okay. <laughs> we all know Kitch loves to shorten. He does this in real life. He gives everybody a nickname. He'll shorten your name, your last name, or like when he talked about you call each other, like especially when you're playing hockey, you call each other by your numbers. So Luke is 44. And when Tim called him fours, I freaking lost it. I thought it was hysterical. (laughs) Frankly, I'm a little upset because in real life, I never got a cool kitsch nickname. You weren't D's? No, he just calls me Billy. He calls me Min's or Sis. I'm still Sis. Maybe he doesn't like you as much as he likes me. That's weird. That's probably Think about that. Yeah. But both on and off the show, he just calls me Billy. Sometimes he guys, I guess he calls me D. Yeah, but everybody calls you D. Okay. All right. That's an amazing story right there. I'm glad I shared that with everyone. Okay. It actually really looks like Tammy and Julie are in Boston because it's just the brick walls and you can see the breath of the cold air coming out when they are walking. It looks like they're in Boston because they are in Boston. Oh, lucky. I actually forgot that they shot all that stuff in Boston. I'm trying to think of all the places we shot outside of Austin, Texas. So we shot in New York. We shot in Boston. Mexico. Shot in Mexico. Did we actually shoot in Mexico? I think so. Shot in Philly. Philly. We ever do California? Ever? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah. Interesting. This episode is like centered around toilet bowls. There's the toilet bowl and then my toilet bowl is clogged. So I just, uh, you're welcome for adding to the talk of toilet bowls. Am I crazy or did they cut a scene of you and I together in this episode? They did. They did? And I don't remember what it was. I think Billy comes home and he's like, hey, you know, don't worry. I'm I'm here. Blah, 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 blah. Because you were all worried that I was cheating on you. Because I have a picture of me in that chair with the belly and you're like kneeling on me. Do you know what? Maybe it's in the other. If we watch it on Amazon, it might be on that. Because I remember that. I watched this episode on Amazon. And oh, yeah. got cut? Yeah. Either it got cut or maybe it was a different episode. I'm going to post that picture up on Instagram so you guys can see what it is. Yeah. But we did. We had a little scene there. But this scene, yeah, I think it was my first men's too from Tim. This was Mm -hmm. the first time Friday Night Lights had given me specifically anything a little bit serious to do. And I was giddy. I was so excited. It was like they were pulling me off the bench and I got to play with the team for the first time. And here the bench is me wearing no clothes and being ridiculous, which I love. But it was like they handed me a tiny bit of trust. Yeah. And it felt very good. (laughs) 
I thought it was a really solid scene, to be honest with you. I also think that like moving forward, that's why the writers honestly gave you better storylines. As writers, they would say, hey, you know, we got this idea. They give it to the actor. And then if the actor kind of nails it, mm-hmm. then they just bring him back and have him do more stuff. Well done, dummy. They tested me a little bit. They are so excited. Yeah. And that's why I think you had so much material in the fifth season. Like all that stuff with Becky. Yeah. I kind of lucked out because I had my chance at bat very early in the first season, you know? Yeah, you had real, like, like serious yeah. storylines. I never have. You got them in the fifth season. Took long enough, but yeah. Thank you, Friday Night Lights. <laughs> okay, so we find out what it was that Calvin tells you he is into, and you are now running a chop shop. And I just want to say that last episode, you said I was the one who puts Tim in jail. You are the one who puts Tim in jail. I created the chop shop to pay for your medical bills. Oh, I'm sorry I'm having your baby. Wow. You're not working. You're not doing anything. I'm the one who has to pay all of your medical bills. So I had to do some illegal stuff. Literally sitting on a reclining chair. While you're sitting there in your recliner complaining. I pee and I sit. Yeah, with your dumb robe on. God, that belly was so big. How was that belly to wear around? It's very, very, very sweaty. <laughs> they were what? I had a very sweaty stomach the entire time. Yeah, I can imagine. They're not heavy at all, but it's very hot. I play a lot of pregnant people. Do you? Oh my God, I play a lot of pregnant people. Grays. I did Steel Magnolias for a really long time. Interesting. We used to say this about Matt Saracen, and now I'm going to say it about Landry. Give Landry a break. <laughs> I was watching this scene with him and Crucifictorious and just thinking, I need more Crucifictorious in my life. I just love the way that Jesse and Stephanie and Caleb all play off of each other. I'm not talking about them as musicians, no, as but just as actors, the way they play off each other. Their scenes, they're always just fun. You know what I mean? And Caleb hits that rim shot at the end. Yes. They're just Raz and Jesse the whole entire time during that scene, you know, because he was supposed to have a date with Jess and Jess kind of broke off the date with him. It's comedy gold. I love those three The three together. of them are very, very fun. Yep. I always forget that Caleb is in the show and then I see him and I get so happy. Yeah, Caleb's gone on to have a pretty decent career. Jesus, he's so good. I've wanted to know, because it seems like Vince and Jess have a past. And so now I know they've known each other since they were kids. So it's like tiny little seeds that get dropped each episode. I feel like sometimes this podcast just turns into me saying how much I love my friends, but my God, I love Angela Renee so much. She's great. I find myself doing the same thing. You know, it's just constant hero worship of all these other actors that I love on this show. I think that's why this podcast is enjoyable because I really do love, I'm a fan of the show as much as I am a part of it, you know? Well, I like when you talk about the show, you call it a love letter to the show and that's what it's turned into. Yeah. Guys, if you want to hear bad stories about FNL, except for when I come in and I'm like the logic police. Oh yeah, Stacey At least I have a purpose. Oh, she didn't close her locker all the way. How did they get from point A to point B so fast? Shut up. Stacey. Listen, I love the people. I don't love the action sometimes. Like, okay, so you went on college tours. Did you yeah. do interviews? I don't think I ever actually did like an in-person interview. Is it a thing that happens? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it does if you're going to like a really good school. Like Harvard or Yale or something. Yeah. Granted, you know, I wasn't as smart as Julie and I wasn't even close to getting into some of the schools that she applied to. But maybe like if you're getting into a really good school, they do in-person interviews. I never had an in-person interview. I did get waitlisted at Boston University. Did you? Yeah, I didn't go. I mean, I guess my interview was when I did my audition at the Thespian Convention and I talked to them then. I guess that was an interview. Yeah, that's but it was still like you take your SATs, you write your essay, you write to each yeah. college. I thought like that was it. I don't want to talk to somebody. Again, I have such a small town Texas view of what it is when people go to college that like maybe that's a thing that people do. I just don't know about it. Hmm. I don't think it's a common thing. Makes me feel a little bit better. Okay. Tim. uh, 
Tim is going to help Luke get pills. And it was like, there's so much of it that I get in that Tim was probably in that position and knows what it's like to play through pain. And we have grown to love Tim Riggins so much and he's been making really good choices. But I also think we need to remember that a Riggins is going to Riggs. <laughs> Riggins going to rig, you know, Riggins going to Riggs. And it's like, oh, yeah. It's Tim. So in the film and television business, like when you sign on to do a project, a lot of times, especially if it's mm -hmm. a bigger film, they have you go in and basically get a physical done. Yeah, you have to get insurance. For insurance purposes that you are yeah. up to snuff and you're not going to cost the production anything. And I remember the first time I ever had one of these, I went in and the doctor asked you a series of questions and they want the same answer. So they'll ask you, do you smoke? Mm -hmm. And I said, yes. And he looked at me and the look in his eyes was like, come on, buddy. Just this ain't rocket no. science. He Just goes, do you smoke? And I go, oh, 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 uh, no. This is back when I smoke. Do you ride a motorcycle? I said, yes. Nope. He goes, come on, I'm going to ask you again. Do you ride a motorcycle? Oh, no, no, I don't. I don't ride a motorcycle. Thank you. <laughs> so that's basically what the doctor did the first time I had my health insurance interview, basically. So it reminded me a little bit of that. My guy. first health insurance interview was I had a bunch of in-bed makeout kissing scenes in the mm -hmm. movie. And I kid you not, all of the questions were, do you have any cold sores, open cold sores, herpes anywhere, like on your body, whatever. And I was like, first of all, my answer is no, but also my scene partner, his answers are going to have to be no. I was like, thank you. I would never yeah. even think about that, but it was a lot of questions about herpes. Maybe it had nothing to do at all with the movie. The guy just has a little herpes fetish or something. Is that oh possible? my God. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just asking, Stacey. I don't I know these no things. I am no longer the worst one on this podcast. Okay. Well, let's move on. I think we've talked about this before because I talk about it a lot in my life. Some of my favorite actors are child actors. I love watching them because they essentially play with reckless abandon. There's no consciousness of self. They haven't learned to be embarrassed about their bodies or the way they look or yeah. the way that they play. It is truthful. It is in the moment and it is joy. These kids that are playing just as little brothers are legitimately great actors. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I was literally thinking the same exact thing while I was watching this scene. There's no insecurities. They aren't thinking about anything. They're just playing. It's also a great job by Michael Waxman, who directed this episode, to get that out of these kids. Because I think a lot of times what happens is the minute you realize that you're on camera as a kid, now you start trying to play up for the camera. What's the uh, don't think of red elephants or whatever, or don't think of an elephant in the room? Mm -hmm. And it becomes the elephant in the room. There's that camera there. And then don't play to the camera, but now you're playing to the camera. Be little kids and embarrass your big sister. And like, yeah. boy, do they do it. God, it's so, so natural. They were just legitimately good. And it really is fun to watch. We're going to have Jeremy Sumter on later in this episode. And we talked to Jeremy about that a little bit, about that idea of that playfulness. And yeah, when you're a kid. Yeah. I sometimes, honestly, I forget and I will go back. I think I've said some podcasts too. It's why I teach children because I remember in class that they say yes to everything. They're like, yeah, sure, I'll try that. Yeah, yeah sure, I'll do this. Okay. I'm like, that's who I want to be as an actor. As we get older, I think it's, and it's part of survival and part of living in a civilization is this idea that we have to edit some of the thoughts that come into our head and some of the yeah. thoughts that come into our brain. Otherwise, we'd be in very big trouble. But yeah, it's really fun to see that happen. You know, to see that in a little kid where they're not there editing themselves anymore. They're just there it's being just themselves. It's always truthful, yeah. too. It never looks fake. There's a little kid in a Geico commercial right now and about the, and he's the guy is spinning the plates and he's like, how come you're not spinning that one? And he like pushes up his glasses and he's like, because I'm four and a half. Yeah. He's my favorite actor. I remember kidding. going into my grandfather's office when I was like five, four or five years old. And 
all of his secretaries grabbed me and they go, oh my God, you're so cute. And I went, I know, because I knew, because like everyone's always telling me, like, stop telling me I'm cute. I get it, you know? Will you please send me pictures of you as a little kid? Of course. I can't picture it at all. You can't picture me as a child? No, I won't send it to anybody, but I'll, I need it. Maybe you can post that on your Instagram. I won't. I've learned my <laughs> lesson not to post pictures of you. You can post pictures of me when I was super cute as a child. You kidding me? Oh, okay. But yeah, I remember my grandfather being like, hey, when somebody gives you a compliment, you say, thank you. You don't say, I know. And oh. that's one of those moments where you edit yourself. So now when people tell me I'm cute, I say, thank you. I don't say, I know. Oh, I, know. I blush and say, no, I'm not and run away. <laughs> this was a surprising little speech by Julie. Good surprising to hear her talk about Dylan this way. Yeah, I don't think I was expecting this. When we meet Julie in the first episode of the first season, it's obvious that she wants nothing to do with Dylan, Texas, <gasps> nothing to do with football. She wants out of this podunk little town so badly. Mm. And it's kind of beautiful to see her have this change of heart, you know, where she's starting to realize some of the, the wonderful things about growing up in a small town. Great scene, FNL. Well done. It makes up for the other one where she was in the classroom. <laughs> okay, again, I feel like part of this episode, like part of the reason for this episode was that we can't let Tim Riggins be too much of the good guy. He can't be the hero yet. Yeah. This kiss made me want to absolutely viscerally puke on my coffee table. <laughs> I didn't know it was coming. I was ill-prepared for it. I hated everything about it. This is the second time that this has happened, too, that these two have kissed each other. He gave in this time. Yeah. I mean, I love the writers on our show, but it does feel yeah. like this is like square peg round hole. You know what I mean? They're like trying oh, to force God. the idea of these two being in a relationship down our throats as an audience and I'm not digging it. I'm not digging it at all. Yeah. I get we can find a reason he's caught up in the moment of the land and what his life is going to be and she's supportive and the kiss and whatever, but oh God, it made me sick to my stomach. Because you know what, D? <laughs> what? Riggin's going to rigs. Riggin's going to rig. Gross. Oh. So gross. I don't know why this hasn't happened before. Maybe it's good that it waited until now. Buddy Garrity is a natural on the radio. Like, so good. Didn't Buddy and Coach have like a talk show or something at yeah, one point Yeah, but for time? a minute, and it was remember. awful. But him like yeah. doing a play-by-play, a little color commentary, and then that commercial. Brad Leland's really good at that kind of stuff, just in general. Yeah. We used to have an auction for oh, a charity yeah. event, and Brad was always the guy, the auctioneer. Yeah. He'd be up there doing his thing, doing his little Brad Leland thing. But I love that Buddy has made a deal with the local Spanish station called El Fuego. Also, if you look closely, you'll notice that Buddy's co-announcer, his play-by-play -play man or whatever, is none other than Patrick Massett, who's one of the illustrious writers on Friday Night Lights. They're both so good at it. Yeah, they're both great. I love that it's El Fuego. So like they have commercial breaks that are all in Spanish and that Buddy somehow finagled his way into this local Spanish station and got them to start broadcasting East Dillon Lions games. You doing your Buddy Garrity impression right then was a little deja vu for me because I was on the phone with Brad Leland this morning. That's two Buddy Garrity's that I've had. I've had a good Garrity day. Buddy Garrity overload? Not yet. I don't think I can have Buddy Garrity overload. <laughs> I don't think it's a thing. I have to say, this is the first football game that I, as an audience member, have been invested in in a while. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why I am. I'm in. Yeah, I hear you. I think we're so used to the Dylan Panthers winning every season. <laughs> like every game, it was like, it, it, it would come down to the nail biter. And it's like, yeah, but they're going to win. With the East Dylan, it's like, are they ever going to win? You know? Wait, so I don't care. How can you not care? You got to care. I didn't before. There's something really special about a team getting their first win when they 
they've been losing. I'm a Dolphin fan, and we had a season where we went 1-17, but out of all the games that the Dolphins have won over the years, that one game kind of stands out because had we not won that game, we would have gone like 0-16 that year, 0-15 that year. And so that one win was just like, we're not the worst team in football ever. Yay, we're not the worst! Yay, we're not the worst. I mean, it's an awful victory, but a victory nonetheless that you're just like, wow. Thank you, God. Derek, also second place, first loser. <laughs> Putting that on t-shirt. If you're not first, you're last. Oh, God. Showing you guys, chopping up cars. There's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to see it actually happen, like an actual dissection and piecing out of the car. God, there was a close-up shot of your hand, state champ ring, cutting up cars and that like just diametrically opposed like what your life was to what your life is it was like f and a punch to the gut jesus yeah and none of that would be happening if it weren't for you it's all your fault we were gonna end this episode on such a good note <laughs> it's all your fault stacy billy had a life ahead of him a career ahead of him a future did he though did he <laughs> you ruined it <sighs> all right guys we got jeremy sumter coming on so stick around Delighted to have Jeremy Sumter, aka JD McCoy, with us on the show today. Jeremy has a career spanning nearly 22 years in the business. He's been in such shows and movies as Frailty, Raising Dad, ER, Murphy's Dozen, Local Boys, Clubhouse, The Glades, Just a Dream, An American Crime, Death and Cremation, Soul Surfer, Into the Storm, Billionaire Ransom, and of course, as Peter Pan in the 2003 hit film. Peter Pan opposite Jason Isaacs. Jeremy, thank you for taking the time to join us today. No problem, guys. I recently found out that you are married now and have a kid on the way. Congratulations. This makes me feel very old. It by makes the way. us feel very old. Yes. Cause oh, I, I'm I, starting to feel old. <laughs> no, you shut your face. You shut your face, Jeremy Sumter. You were 17 years old when we were doing Friday Night Lights. I was already in my 30s. Were you seven? Were you 17 or were you 16 yeah. when you started? 17 near the end of 17 or 18. And I'm uh, I'll be okay. 34 in about a week and a half. Are you ready to be a dad? I'm gonna be dad of a little girl. And uh, I've been told that I would be a great girl dad. So girl dad gonna, did the best. Uh, yeah, awesome, her, her name's going to be Lucy Snow. I love it. Oh I my love god, it. I love her already. And the reason why I said Lucy Snow, we're trying to find all the th- how names would roll off the tongue. And so the way I did that was I'd be like Lucy Snow. I done told you. I'm like, oh, that, that, it rolls. Perfectly. Oh, it's really good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm living in Nashville, and so. It just even more so, like, Lucy Snow, I told you, you should do that. Lucy Snow. <laughs> you can have that whiskey, Lucy Snow. You were born in California, though, right? But moved to Mount yes. Sterling, Kentucky when you were 10 months old. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I uh, I was born in Carmel, California. My mom was a Russian linguist in the Air Force, and uh, she worked at the bar on the side, and she met the bar drunk named Gary Sumter. <laughs> I love it. And then they fell in love. I got married, had my twin sister and I, and she got out of the Air Force from a blood thing, and she wanted to move back to Kentucky to raise us. And then that's where my dad got sober, and then that's where I was raised for the first 10 years of my life. And then uh, my dad was on a, a delivery. He worked for Emory Worldwide, and he, learned, and he heard this advertisement on the radio about IMPA. So he comes home and brings it all up and uh, we all go give it a shot and I get picked to go and I go through images out of Lexington and, you know, for modeling and acting. I didn't really want to do it because I didn't want to be a model. I'm like, am I going to have to go in my underwear? And <laughs> but then sure enough, I was the one that got picked. And so when I found out I was going to get picked, the only thing I could think about, I paused for a bit, I looked at my dad and I go, am I going to meet Sammy Sosa? <laughs> out of all the people, 
I could think of. I go, am I going to meet Sammy Sosa? Have you met Sammy Sosa yet? Yeah, did you? No, I have not met Sammy Sosa yet. We need to get this taken care of immediately. I mean, it's tangential, but do you remember that you, me, Derek, and Amy Teagarden did a commercial and we got to hang out with Jerome Bettis all day? So like that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. The bus. I'm glad you brought that up because wasn't that like the year or so after he won the Super Bowl? Yes. And he had his Super Bowl ring, remember? Don't you remember he called me short bus, which I thought was... He called you short bus. I can't believe that didn't stick. We should have stuck with that. (laughs) Well, I mean, if Jerome Bettis gives you a name, then you got to stick with it. Uh, yeah, dude. I just remember his That's Super Bowl off. ring was so big that I could put two fingers no into way. it, like to get it on my fingers. He's not that tall, oh. but he's just solid. He's the bus. Yeah. Okay. So, dude. Okay. So you're living in Kentucky. You wind up going on like a modeling search thing. You win the, and, the contest uh, essentially, and then yeah, and I get picked. I do some training for a few months, and then we had the convention in L.A. Mm-hmm. And there's people all around the country from different schools that are gone there for the whole great convention. Uh, it's where agents and managers come and they find, you know, fresh meat for the industry. <laughs> gotcha, so gotcha, gotcha. Elijah Wood got started through IMTA, Sean Williams Scott, Ashley Kutcher, Evan Longoria, Katie Holmes, and Jeremy Sumter. But it happened to work out for me. And it doesn't work out very much for most, but hey, it's an opportunity and I took it and I ran with it. And then within the first year, I'm, I'm starring along Bill Paxton and Matt McConaughey and Frailty. And then oh, after wow. that, you know, things just really started taking off. And then, of course, I booked Peter Pan. And I was like the one out of 400,000 kids that auditioned, that sent in tapes for that movie. And I got it. And, Unbelievable. I think so, maybe my buddy Riley Smith might have gone through that same. Is it called IMTA? Yeah, I am International Modeling Talent Agency. Yeah, I think Riley Smith, who's a friend of mine, went through the same thing. And they pick a lot of kids all around the country, but there's very few that actually have success stories like you guys have had. And Riley's going yeah, on it, pretty, pretty solid. So it doesn't mean himself. that you... Doesn't mean you're not going on an adventure because I'll tell you what, uh, the whole thing about it was just the experience and for people around the country, they get to go out to LA, they get to get the shot at modeling and, and and you're doing your competitions, you're doing the runway stuff, you're doing acting and it's great. And then you come out and you get, and you meet a manager, you get a manager, great. You come out, you give a shot. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But I always tell people, I said, just because you didn't make it out here as an actor, doesn't mean you can't come out here and make it as a crew member, there's so many opportunities in film and people feel yeah. like, and I think people just get missed because they think, oh, I didn't make it as an actor. I can't do this. But what if you're a great writer or you find your, your niche in like go to film school and, and, and you find out where you belong and you still involve yourself in the industry and making movies. I think with that aspect, a lot of people are end up doing it, going through that and then finding solid jobs in the industry. And it's great. So I think IMTA is an awesome thing. Yeah, before, yeah. before we jump into FNO, what was it like when you found out you were going to be freaking Peter Pan in that movie? Oh, man. So in Kentucky, I would run around the neighborhood with my buddies. I had like about seven or eight of uh, my buddies in my neighborhood. And it was like a subdivision, right? And, and we all hang out every day at the school, go run around and come home from school, throw our backpacks down and go climb some cliffs and play in the creeks and stuff behind my house. And my dad found out that we were back there at these cliffs. So you thought, oh, okay, these small little cliffs. Little did he know when he went in there and saw what we we're doing, he followed us over there and he's like, oh my God. And then he looks <laughs> up and sees me halfway up a 75 foot face. <laughs> and I'm eight years old, right? That's who I was. I was Peter Pan. <laughs> so much so that I was known around the neighborhood by all the moms that uh, every time they see us, they go, oh, there goes Peter Pan and his lost toys. So this opportunity <laughs> came up and my mom was like, oh my God. You guys don't know. So my manager is like, Jeremy is Peter Pan. And so I go into the audition room and I'm like, hey guys, what's up? And they're like, oh, hey, Jeremy. So watch this. And then 
they're like, okay. And I started climbing through the door frame. <laughs> and, you know, when you're a kid, you climb up the door frame and then I did a backflip yeah. off. And they're like, well, okay, let's not do any more of that. I said, okay. And then, so they're like, Jeremy, you going to do a British accent? And I'm like, nope. They're like, why not? I said, I don't feel like it. <laughs> and they're like, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I said, but it. I did have an English girl. I did have an English girlfriend though once. And they're like, oh, really? What happened? I said, I broke up with her. They're like, why? Well, I found someone hotter. And then the director looks Jeez. up at the guy and goes, God, tell me he can act. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> went to London for the second half of the audition process and then France. And then that's where the director drew this picture of Peter Pan. And he goes, who is that? I said, oh, that's Peter Pan. He goes, no, it's Jeremy Sumter. You're my Peter Pan. I'm like, oh, my God. And he oh, dated awesome. it. He dated it. June 6, 2002. At my rap gift, he brings that picture up and it was dated the day Jeremy rapped Peter Pan, June 6, 2003, an exact year. Wow. Oh my god! So That's yeah, crazy. it was just uh, it was uh, it was epic. So when I found out I was playing Peter Pan, I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna go play Jeremy Sumter." <laughs> <laughs> I will say that one of my fondest memories of you on on set at Friday Night Lights <laughs> is just there was an energy that never kind of stopped. I remember both of us got in trouble with Nan Bernstein, who was <laughs> the line producer on Friday Night Lights, because you were always punting footballs. I was always throwing footballs. You know, when yep. we were out there on the field, and she eventually was like. If you're not in the scene, do not punt. Because, you know, we were kicking them and hitting cameras and lights and everything else. Yeah, I mean, we're out there between takes and just like me yeah. and Taylor Kitsch. We were just kicking football, kicking field goals, throwing football. I was always hanging out with the football players. I mean, I hung out with the cast a little bit here and there, but mostly I was just hanging out with the football players and mm -hmm. the cheerleaders. Yeah. And, and just I, I remember you being around the cheerleaders quite a bit when we were shooting <laughs> you know well, that hey, is one of the other memories i have i'm like i was a 17 year old kid and there's some yeah, cute exactly. cheerleaders man <laughs> exactly it was interesting because jesse plemons who was also i think roughly the same age as you is like when such an started, old soul yeah. and i'm like jeremy is exactly yeah. who i would have been at 17 years old like kicking footballs talking oh, to yeah. cheerleaders not just um, full of energy oh that show it's kind of like you forget that you're filming something and so yeah. what happens is it's like i mean we had four or five like there was like three or four steady cams at all times or we filming mm -hmm. our stuff yeah. and it's like they do a rehearsal and they're like okay cool we got it moving on i'm like what there was nothing really rehearsed you go there you're prepared or you're not prepared no matter what it's going to come on camera and so we go do our stuff and it's like i'd run over and do this little player or do this little scene real quick. And then I go over there and they got it. And then I can go back to playing football. <laughs> now there were numerous times, <laughs> numerous times on that show where you were rolling and you didn't really even know that you were rolling. I said that to everyone. They're like, what's the life working on Friday night? I said, well, I don't know. I never really worked on it. <laughs> it <laughs> I guess felt so. that way for sure. I did have a question for you. Do you remember, I mean, was Friday Night Lights a straight offer for you or did you audition for it? Do you remember? It was pretty much a straight offer. They really liked me. Okay, so originally I went in for Saracen, but I was oh, wow. too young, and I guess. Wow. Yeah, and so, but they remembered me. And I think they wanted to bring me back, put me on the show somewhere. That it, but then J.D. McCoy happens and then they're like, okay, let's bring Jeremy in. So I go in there, I meet the producers again and I just gave them a, just a quick read and they're like, great. And then I was off to Austin. Did you climb the door frame for your audition for Friday Night Lights? Mm -hmm, and do a backflip. <laughs> I did. Instead, I did a front flip. I got over my fear of doing front flips. So that's it's a just a staple for Jeremy Sumter now. <laughs> I love it. What did you know going in when you came in about JD and his family life and what you were going to be doing? I felt like there's a little bit of that in my life too. It's like, you know, there's so much promise with this character. Originally, I was going to come in and do three or four episodes. Oh. Little did I know, I ended up doing like 23 episodes. But no, going in there, it's like, look, 
I had a father who's, you know, I'm his pride and joy. And it felt like he's living his life through me, mm-hmm. you know? So I had to be the best. And my character was the best. And so Saracen got benched and J.D. McCoy steps in and he takes him all the way to the state game to the point where he failed at that because of all the pressure that was put on him. And, you know, his dad didn't let him live it down and stuff. And I remember filming that state game. At, we were filming a Longhorn Stadium where Texas yeah. Longhorns play. And yeah. I told him, I think it was like, wasn't that the last day of filming for the season? I think so. It was right up there. Yeah, yeah if I, it wasn't yeah, the I last. Think so. it was uh, yeah, one of the last. yeah, I think it was because I always want to like, I, I'd annoy the hell out of the producers and be like, hey, can I please go run that play? I'm going to go run, run that play. Let me go run that play. And they're like, me, you know, you got to take some hits. So finally at the end, they said, all right, Jeremy, we're going to let you take some hits. <laughs> this last hit, just in case you so, break your leg. Yeah, so I took some real hits on that. You know, I mean, it's not as real as what they do. You know, these guys were massive. I remember those, those guys uh, were huge. Speaking of I mean, taking God, some dang. hits, we had D.W. Yeah. Moffat on who played your father. And he told us there was a scene where he basically physically assaulted you outside the Applebee's. Do you remember this scene at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He put me through the ringer on that. I told him, I said, go for it. You know, it was his father, your father's son. Put You know, and so that was that whole hard rain's going to fall, right? Yes. episode. Yeah. Yeah, he said he got a hit in. To the point where Kyle literally had to step in as Kyle and be like, all right, that's enough. That's enough to like break this scene up because he was worried that DW was yeah, hurting you. Exactly. I love working with Kyle Chandler. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Taylor Kitch, one of the nicest people I met. And I've known Jesse a long time. I've met Jesse a few times, hung out over there while he played guitar and saying stuff. Um, yeah. Well before he even did Friday Night Lights. And then Amy T. Garden, we share the same agent. And everybody on that show oh, wow. was great. I just, I love being there. They had their circle, just so you know. They, they had their circle. And it's kind of hard to break into that circle. But I know that Taylor Kitsch and Kyle Chandler, they, they just welcomed me with open arms, showed me around the ropes, showed me what it's like in Austin, showed me some cool spots. And I had a lot of fun making that show. For the first couple episodes, I was kind of like, you know, I'm a little sad here. I'm lonely. It's my first time, my first time actually leaving the state, going and doing a job where I don't have my parents with me, wow. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. And so a 17 year old kid and I'm going and, you know, it, yeah, I'm playing a 17 year old kid, but I was really a 17 year old kid. It's still a job and it's an adult world. And, mm-hmm. and I went there and I, and so I got there and I felt lonely, you know, so they would find me back and forth, which was awesome. And, and because of that, I felt like, yeah, I don't need to find me back and forth. I like being here. I really fit in. It was a lot of fun. I was saying to somebody the other day, I was in Hawaii for work and I'm like hanging underwear up in my hotel room out to dry because I'd run out of underwear. It's like the, any kind of glamour that people think is involved in this business. It's it's kind of ridiculous. But Yeah, there's no glamour. It comes when, you know, during award season, you know, yes. other than that, yeah. it, it, it's, a nine to, it's, it's like a nine to five job and it's our yeah. job. And we work long hours. We work 12, 13 hours. I mean, I've done four movies over this last year. And I had one that just came out. I saw HBO Max Holiday Harmony, a Christmas movie. And we filmed mm-hmm. that in Petaluma. And Brooke Shields plays my mother. And, uh, oh, wow. and Brooke is, you know, you, you, you talk about glamour. I mean, she's one of the most beautiful women ever on, you know, to, to walk the earth, right? Yeah. So she knows about glamour. But no, she'll come in there in a sweat, work and does her job and stuff. And so what people see on the side is really not what you're seeing as it goes on. But what we do, it's for them. The thing that I've never lost sight of is, you know, I'm not an asshole. I mean, there was a couple of times in my career where I started to get a big head. My mom would be back into shape real fast. I had to humble myself and I did. It's because I realized that I remembered why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I want to be an actor. I want to be on that screen and I want people to go see me. 
And yeah. if it weren't for those people going to see me, I wouldn't have this job. So everything I do in this industry is thanks to those audience because without an audience, you wouldn't be making movies. Starting at such a young age, there's such two paths that a child star can do. And one is very, very dark. And the other is like what you're doing, where you know what you want and you're grateful and like gracious yeah. for the things that I happen. I would say that we walk a fine line in life. And what I mean is we're actually not walking a line. We have one foot on both sides of the line. Now, yeah. you got the side that you know is always going to be there or not. Depends on how far left you go. But it's like there's family, there's light, there's friendship, there's fun, there's work. All the good things in life is on that right side. But how can you go through life without wanting to peek on the other side of that fence to see what's yeah. there? And so yeah. you go test those waters. But then sometimes it could be so damaging that you never make it back to that line. Or if you do make it back to the line, you got a cloud over you the rest of your life. And so for a long time, I made sure I stayed on the right side of that line. But as I got a little older, I had to go drift and find out and experiment, you know, and Luckily for me, Hollywood has a tendency to really try to pull you on that left side, you know, and being a kid actor and then growing up and having the weight of everything on your back, you're just kind of walking that line with a big, heavy backpack on. Yeah. You've seen to have managed to avoid a lot of those pitfalls that I think a lot of child actors fall into. And I think, you know, it's not just child actors, guys. It's just people in general, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. People... It's not actors. I mean, there's singers, there's uh, models. Yeah, that's just the industry type stuff. But there's, I mean, what I go through is what everybody goes through in life. I just happen to be an actor going through it. Yeah, I think about like I went to a normal high school with normal kids. None of them were actors or famous or anything, but a lot of them turned out to be not a lot of them, but some of them turned out to be punks and some of them are great people. You know, I think that exactly just because, you know, you grew up in the limelight, you grew up a recognizable face. We have a tendency to go, oh, look, all these child actors are a mess, you know, and it's like, that's not true. It's not all child actors. It's just the that small percentage of child actors that do yeah. have their lives are very public. And so we hear about it, you know, yeah. we don't hear well, about for the me, success stories of a guy who's doing well. Yeah. And for me, it's about. like, um, I've always wanted to have family, you know, I want to have my own family yeah. and I want to move back towards Kentucky and be what I am. I uh, honestly, I'd never liked living in LA. I'd love LA, but I don't like living there. Cause I'm a, I'm a country boy at heart, you know? And so COVID came, it opened the door oh, for good. me to, and everybody to move the heck out of LA and go be where they want. And so I said, okay, yeah. my girl and I, we moved to Nashville and then I got married and now I'm about to have a kid and I'm actually living the life that I've always wanted. To, and I was always feared that I would never have That's while awesome, being man. an actor. And so I got married and yet I have a kid on the way and I'm living in Nashville, but I've done four movies this year, you know? So it's worked out Awesome. And it's uh, out perfect. Be in a spot. we're still going to get you to meet Sammy Sosa. But other than that, <laughs> it's perfect. I'm super proud of you, man. I do this for fans and I always make time for my fans. And I always respect my fans. And no matter what, I'm never not genuine because that's what we do this for. So that's the mentality that I kind of try to stay with throughout my so career. Speaking that's... of genuine, we are in season four now. And there are times that I have said, I want to punch. Jaden McCoy in the face. And I say this is a testament because I don't want to punch Jeremy Sumter. I love Jeremy Sumter, but I want to punch J.D. McCoy in the face. So like kudos to fun. you. <laughs> yes. That was yeah. fun where, you know, you felt for the kid and well, yeah, you kind I mean, of didn't like him at first because you're coming in and you're rooting for Saracen, but then you felt for him and you're like, Jesus. But then the next season you turn around and he's like, 
he's his dad. He went from being this like, likable kid with an overbearing father. And we as an audience felt for you. But then, like, as you said, by the time season four rolls around, you're like this privileged jerk that, like, Stacey and I constantly yeah. talk about how we want you to get punched in the mouth. And that was Michael B. George's first season. And you know how I said, yeah. and he's on my heart. My character was a douche to him. And, and this yeah. is how I split up two districts. And they went one way. But then the team that everyone's been rooting for the whole show is now the team that everyone hates. Yeah. Yep. It happened so fast. It was J.D. McCoy that stayed with the Panthers. And it's like, I was the character that made you hate the Dylan Panthers. It's true. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, you did a wonderful job with it because we had Jason Kadams on the show recently who was talking about there's a scene where they start booing Tammy at one of the pep rallies. It's amazing to think that like we were all such big Panther fans. And then all of a sudden we hate the Panthers and you Mm -hmm. kind of are the face of the Panthers at this point in time in season four. You're a jerk to Saracen. You're a jerk to Luke. You're a jerk to Michael B. Jordan. Like, yeah, to Vince. And my dad becoming even more of a jerk. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, wonderful job. Which did you enjoy playing better? <laughs> well, the I've bright-eyed, bushy-tailed I mean, J.D. McCoy or the bully J.D. McCoy? Well, it's fun to play a bully because I'm not a bully. In my movies, I was always a good kid. And then yeah. I played a Peter Pan. And it, so it was fun for me to step out of what I'm, used to doing which is kind of what jd mccoy was those first season but to make that switch it was like i gotta make people hate me you know what am i gonna do here i gotta make people like start to root for the other side of this town because all they've done is follow the panthers and now i'm like the leader of the panthers behind my dad and i'm supposed to make these fans that have followed the panthers and loved them and every their story about you know and turn around and and make them just like despise the panthers and so for me that was fun to go from the character everyone fell for to the kind that everyone's just like god that guy's just a prick (laughs) you did a wonderful job at it i'll be honest with you i personally have always found playing the bad guy being a little bit more fun you know i know as actors we're not supposed to label our characters as bad guys i mean look there's black and white there's heroes and there's villains you know what i'm saying it's like you're the white knight or you're the dark knight you know what i mean And, and it gets kind of old to play the white knight you know I want to do what Gary Oldman does. Like yeah. you love them and you hate them. You know what but I mean? But you have that sweet angel face. So people just think <laughs> you're going to be. Well, so you should good. see what it looks like right now. <laughs> I looked at pictures, Jeremy. You're very grown up and handsome and it freaked me out and made me feel old. Oh, I was going to ask you what your favorite moments from Friday Night Lights were. If you had some favorite moments, some favorite memories, if you could share that well, with our audience. My favorite thing about filming Friday Night Lights is the fact that I've always wanted to play football, but I was always so small in Kentucky. My mom would never let me play football. And to get the opportunity to go and be an actor, what I love to do, and then combine that with something I've always wanted to do and by being a football player and being in that uniform being in that uniform for me was just like something that I've never felt that before I've never put shoulder pads on I never put football gear on never worn a football helmet but I go and play football all the time on my buddies and I'm an athlete an all-around athlete but to be able to go there and do what I love while putting the football gear on and go out there and play some games make some plays and my favorite part was doing all that in that game with the rain, where they put those rain machines out. I mean, it was yeah. brutally cold that night, too. And they had these big rain machines over the whole field, pretty much, and mm-hmm. just soaked us while we're out there doing that. But boy, was that fun, man. You're the only actor we have had on the show who said they <laughs> like that. Everyone else talks about how much yeah. they hate the rain machine. I think that that's what I remember most fondly about you, though, Jeremy, is that energy that you brought to set. It's and that all positive. It was. It was a positive, joyful as you said, like Peter Pan-esque energy. And I think that for some of us who are a little older, it was like, why is this kid so happy right now? (laughs) Yeah, why is is he smiling like that? Does this guy ever quit? Does this guy ever like run on empty? (laughs) No. 
I'm glad that you've maintained that same vibe as you've aged. We can yeah. all probably learn a little something from you. I think it's just the Peter Pan in me. It's like, you know, I, I've grown up, but yet deep down inside, I'm still that kid. And that's going to work wonders for when I have mine. So I, love I was it, just yeah. about to say, that's what's going to make you a really great dad. That, that is it for season four, episode eight. But please join us next time for season four, episode nine, entitled The Lights in Carroll Park. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Cannot lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to Pod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Oristano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.